Hello all and welcome to another episode of Old Everald and Young James Talk Politics. I am James Morgan, as always, here with Everald Compton, as always, who is due to fly out to Canberra tomorrow to get in the ear of some politicians. Tomorrow I'm on a campaign of terrorisation of politicians of all colours. A little later in our chat I'll tell you what devious things I'm going to get up to. Uh, uh, But uh, I think, first of all... (coughs) Uh, we, we ought to, I think you've been alarmed, as have many Australians, about uh, the sermon that uh, Scott Morrison gave and indeed the response that Margaret Court at her church, uh, which you know, I put a few tweets out about this week. I thought it was terrible. And, and, uh, and then there were some revelations about Morrison uh, trying to steal the election on the last day with a panic about a, a refugee boat. And I thought we ought to chat about that before we get on. Now, let you start being a man of democracy. I'll let you start. Now, so, I know that normally uh, uh, you go listening to sermon, but I, but I believe you listened to this uh, sermon, and I understand it, 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 it did not save your soul. <laughs> well, let's just, um, like, I, I want to, you know, say at the outset, obviously, people are free to practice their faith however they like. We're both religious people and practice our faith in a certain way. Other people can practice their faiths in whatever way they see fit, and that is their right. Um, There's just, though, something really weird and off-putting to me about the way Scott Morrison and his mates practice theirs. So he got up on this big, big stage at the Margaret Court megachurch, decrying, you know, we, we, we can't trust governments, we can't trust especially the UN, because they're the most evil government, apparently, um, we can only trust in the Almighty. And look, there's nothing inherently wrong with someone having that worldview if that's the way they choose to see the world. It's just so incredibly weird coming from a recently defeated Prime Minister getting up and now saying, no, no, don't trust in governments. Um, it's so weird hearing from someone who spoke at the UN saying, no, no, don't trust the UN. Um, and it's, there's, this reminded me of a story I heard from Scott Morrison's 2019 election campaign, where he he recounted how he was feeling down, he was feeling like the election was unwinnable, he was feeling like he couldn't claw back what was going to happen, he was going to get crushed, he was tired, he was drained, it was impossible. And then, so Morrison says, he looks up at this painting of an eagle, and the good Lord speaks to Scott through this painting of the eagle. And God, through the eagle, says, no, Scott, you must keep fighting. You must do this. You can do this and you will do this. And there's just, to my mind, some sort of like Messiah complex and vanity inherent in the the suggestion that the good Lord, in all his infinite wisdom, um, has specifically chosen you, Scott Morrison, as one of his guys on earth to do the job. Um, This certain vanity amongst the people who follow the faiths Tom Morrison does, that they are all this really special, all these chosen ones who are leading all us sheep, the sheep who've grown the wool over their own eyes into the light of salvation. It's just, oh, it's so unsettling and off-putting, isn't it? It's weird. Well, first of all, Scott Morrison's brand of Christianity is totally alien to what I believe, and he's not going to believe it. And, and he does believe that God, I know from, I know him reasonably well, he does believe that God led him to victory. He was the chosen person. He does believe that. 
And I think he's having trouble now working out how the same God led him to defeat. And I think this is, a, you know, a, a, a dilemma that he, he's got. And, and uh, for him to say don't trust government means he's saying, well, don't trust or respect anything I did for the last four years. I was prime minister because, you know, that's the way it is. And he belongs to a brand of Christians who want to blame everything in life on God. And God gets blamed for all sorts of things he never even heard about. And, and, and Morrison is now trying to rationalise how it is that God had him <coughs> winning one election on losing another one. And he's trying to blame his wrath onto God, which I thought uh, uh, was an accolade that God, uh, God didn't deserve. And he did it in Margaret Court's church, which is one of the most primitive you could find anywhere in the world. And the way in which she demonises gays and in, in anyone else she doesn't like is uh, quite pagan in my view. And, and I thought it was a dreadful end to uh, his career. I think it actually put a finality on his career that you know, people said, well, now, this guy's gone. And if we want to thank God for something, thank God this bloke's gone. Well, this, that's, what, um, that's what we young people call a mask off moment, where someone, you know, they take their mask off, they show you who they really are, like the facade slipped, it's gone. Um, and there was just one, one thing else that specifically rubbed me off the wrong way about his speech was that the, the specific calling out of the United Nations as someone not to trust. Now, it's well known, it was well documented, Four Corners, I think, was did a big thing on it, that um, Scott Morrison has pretty close, uh, like, friend links to the QAnon conspiracy theory in America. And QAnon's this, uh, I think we talked about it a little bit before, it's, this obviously bunk theory um, about, like, it, it's a very American conspiracy theory that Donald Trump, of course, the, the saviour of America, um, was brought to save America from the deep state, which is the Clintons, the Obamas, um, all the Democrats, and, you know, especially, though, a big target of QAnon uh, conspiracy attacks are Jewish people. Because, of course, any conspiracy theory that is about, like, the evil secret puppet global government is always going to be just a Trojan horse for like attacks on Jewish people. Now, Scott Morrison a couple times before has like totally unprompted attacked like these, this idea of globalism, negative globalism and international institutions. And it just, knowing he's got such close links to all these people to whom globalism is just a synonym for like the evil Jews who control things behind the scenes. It, it really doesn't sit right with me to hear him going on and banging the drum about it because he knows he, he's not a, well, he's an idiot. He's not, he's not a big enough idiot to not know what he's talking about to those, to that circle of people when he goes around criticizing these sorts of institutions and these sorts of things. And I, I very much think he does it on purpose and it's just, oh, it's so. Well, I think we've got to agree he, he, he's actually uh, lost the plot. I mean, I can't think of a world in which, Joe Biden and Z in China, she over here pronounced it properly, would give up their power to the United Nations. I mean, this is just not going to happen. And, and, and uh, I think that's not even worse, worse than his church thing. And, and I'm hoping that, uh, you know, uh, we, we don't hear too much more of his faith and Margaret Courts. And you know, I, I don't think that's healthy for uh, 
Australia, but he's worse in, in my view. It happened a couple of weeks before that, when on election day, and I actually heard it. I was at my computer uh, working away on an article, and the news flash came across the bottom that Morrison had announced that there was a refugee boat heading for Australia, and this was in the middle of the afternoon. And he says he alerted uh, Anthony Albanese to it uh, before he made the statement. That didn't have anything to do. He was trying to panic the voters at the last minute to say, look, if you vote for Albanese, uh, uh, yeah, these boats are going to come in. And it was desperate stuff because by four o'clock in the afternoon, most of Australia had voted, half of Australia had voted before the even election day. So he's only going to influence a few people who had never... And it came over as, a, as someone who deliberately tried to damage democracy, a Trumpian thing by saying, you know, we, we can't have this election stolen and promise I'll drop this thing into the ring and we'll do it. And, and to me, that was his most on election day. Of all the crook things he did in his prime ministership, that was the most disgusting. Yeah, and it, it's not just... The stealing of democracy because you you are right it's it's a very undemocratic thing to do to like well, let's make this clear what he did was as as the prime minister because he was still he just caretaker prime minister but he was still prime minister on election day he used the levers of power to influence the department of home affairs to publish um messages about you know impending refugee votes coming with the implicit the, the very deliberate implicit association that this was linked to labor potentially winning the election um that is that is an abuse of public office to my mind like that's that is corruption of the highest order that is using your influence for your own political gain and manipulating uh, governmental agencies to do so that's what that is um and that is very much something that i hope will be in the crosshairs of some sort of integrity body in the near future but um it's it, it goes back to John Howard and the children overboard, you know, this idea of the evil marauding refugee boats uh, who that are coming from overseas to take our jobs and our women and our land and they're all horrible people and yada, yada, yada. Like, I mean, anyone who's followed the news, surely, for the past two weeks would have seen what's going on in Sri Lanka right now, which is where this refugee boat came from. Yeah. And you can't help but feel anything but sympathy for people of Sri Lanka, right? So just the, the use of, like, the, the people of Sri Lanka's plight and the, the crisis going on in Sri Lanka right now and the, the horrible, horrible crime of someone wanting to seek refuge in Australia from that country as, like, a big boogeyman to scare people into um, voting for the Liberals because only the Liberals can keep these evil Sri Lankans who just want to flee a corrupt, failing regime can keep them out of the country. It's just sick, isn't it? Like, <laughs> uh, well, well, it is, and I'm, I'm hoping that someone can find something in the Electoral Act of Australia where Morrison can be charged for this—a breach of uh, the, the, the election code or whatever. I don't know. A young lawyer like you can have a look at that, and we'll find somebody who can take that uh, uh, to the court. But the whole idea of the Sri Lankans being off—we've got two families of Sri Lankan refugees at our church. And, and we've helped them establish themselves they, because they've never been given any so they don't get any Medicare, they're not allowed to have permanent jobs and only catch one, but they're fighting their way through and paying their bills and our church backs them in every way. And they're in terrible situation. I mean, one of the women in the family has got burns down the side of her body 
from where the, the Sri Lankan army burned her house because they falsely thought she was a member of the Tamil Tigers, you know, ridiculous. And so here's this woman burnt down one side of her body and you say to her she should stick around there in Sri Lanka. I mean, how stupid can you get? And, and, and I think this is uh, something we should do. Let's move on to, uh, to, to uh, uh, the reign of terror that I'm going to carry out in Parliament this week. It's very interesting. There is a totally new attitude abroad in the Parliament. There's an expectation that things are going to be different than something going to happen. And I know that Albo will do his best to make that happen. I hope it does happen. There might be an even over-expectation for which they'll then punish him if the expectation doesn't happen. But he's got a lot of things on his plate. But I'm going down for a couple of reasons. One is the Inland Railway, which I'm... Most people acknowledge I was the founder of in 1996 uh, and which was taken over from me by the Australian Rail Track Corporation some years ago. Uh, it's in dire trouble, wasted billions of dollars in gross mismanagement. Uh, and I'm going down to discuss what's going to happen. Is the inland railway ever going to get from Melbourne to Brisbane? It was set out to be because they've already exceeded their budget and they've only build 100 kilometres of track out of a 1,000. And also I'm going to talk about the Gladstone Railway, which would hook in, make the port of Gladstone hook into the inland railway at Gundawindi and create a freight corridor down the middle of Australia with Gladstone, the deep water port, becoming the Rotterdam of Australia for big boats. So I'm spending uh, uh, some time uh, uh, on that. I'm also meeting Linda Burney about... Uh, uh, the referendum for Uluru, and I'd, I'd like to come back and talk about that uh, for a moment because I'm going to have a role in that. And I'm seeing Julie Collins, the Minister of Housing, about affordable housing, which is a, a, a big matter. And also I'm trying to get laws passed in the Parliament to allow the Northern Territory and the Australian Capital Territory to have to be given power by the Commonwealth Government to do it for them to have voluntary assisted dying legislation through the parliament. So there, I've got 26 meetings and all sides of the house, including some independents. But let's come back to the, 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 the ones I think we've got time for, the Inland Railway and the Gladstone Railway. We can note that things are going to happen. But uh, the referendum for Uluru, I'm very worried about this, James. Now, you're a young lawyer. I have said to the government, I'm going to do it, whether they approve or not anyway. I'm going to run a campaign to the oldies of Australia to vote yes for a recognition of the Uluru Statement. Now, that depends entirely on the wording that's on it. At the moment, the wording on it, in my view, is wrong and will get beaten. And, and, and unless the wording that's, well, it hasn't been finalised yet, but it's what's going around the parliament, it's got two weaknesses in it. I mean, it sets up the, the idea of an Aboriginal voice through some sort of assembly, and, and uh, that the, the, they will have power to recommend to the parliament, but the parliament's under no obligation to do what they say, except they must debate, you know, what, you know, what they put up. Now, there's two things. They want to call this House of Assembly First Nations Voice. That's what's in the document that I've seen. Now, Linda Burney hasn't accepted this yet, but this is up on her table for acceptance by a constitutional First Nations verse. Now, that indicates to Australians that we're recognising Indigenous people as a nation. 
Now, 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 whether or not they deserve to be called a nature and entitled to call a nature, I can tell you that uh, that Clive Palmer and Pauline Hanson will run around all over Australia saying you're voting for these people to be recognised as a nation. Uh, they're not Aussies. They want to be a nation. They call themselves First Nation, and, and they're going to cause this thing to be defeated. I've advised the government that I think instead of saying First Nations voice, they should just call it First Peoples Assembly because they are the first people here. Forget about the name of the First Peoples and call it the First Peoples Assembly. Now, I reckon if they go ahead with First Nations voice, they're going to lose this badly, James. What's your view? I'd like to... um sort of echoes some comments that I think Senator, I think what did Pat Dodson from the Labor Party raised? And that's like, with referendums, there's always a publicly funded yes campaign and a publicly funded no campaign. Yeah. And when there's something like a referendum, say the ones that Fraser did about like the mandatory retirement age for judges, that's like a, a mechanistic sort of thing, right? That's all um, very dry. There are arguments on the yes side. There are arguments on the no side. They're both very academic arguments. Um, with a no campaign for this referendum, if it is publicly funded, we're going to be funneling a lot of money into racism because that's what the no campaign is going to be. It's going to be a big fear yeah, campaign well. about Indigenous Australians, how they're going to take all our power, and declare themselves independent. They're going to have veto power over Parliament. Ooh, and all these other false, no. very false, very racist narratives try to scare white people into voting no um, to the referendum. And Pat Donson basically said, well, like is, is, he questioned at least the, the worthiness of publicly funding the no campaign because it's just going to be a whole bunch of racism. And I think you're right that it's, there's definitely going to be in the no campaign a massive, massive element of vile bigotry. I mean, we saw when the Liberals were in Parliament one, like there was always talks by even ministers of government that that the reason they didn't want an Indigenous voice was because it would be the third chamber of parliament with all sorts of powers to knock down the sovereignty of the Australian people. Malcolm Turnbull said it on Q&A, and I think he's since recanted those comments, to be fair. Um, so I think, <laughs> you, I think you definitely have a point that there's, it's for Indigenous people especially, I think the campaign's going to be a horrible, horrible time. It's going to be so... That's what it is. And, and, and the far right is going to hit this First, first Nations a bit hard. And I've said to him, we can be doctrinaire and say Indigenous people deserve to be called the First Nation because they were here. But you've got to decide whether you want to win the referendum, whether you want to lose it. And the point, no one can deny that they were the first people. And if we say first people... Assembly, don't even use the word voice because that'll get into that, uh, get rid of that. And I'm pushing that. But the second thing is the worst one. There is a line in this referendum that says the parliament shall have the power to amend, the, the, shall have the, the right or the power to amend the powers of this assembly. In other words, there's a clause in that says when you pass this, parliament, future parliaments, have the right to amend it, to upgrade it to their powers. Now, the, the, the far right will go berserk about that. They'll say these lefty governments, this will get through, and as soon as you know, the Prime Minister will be in this House of Assembly. And, and, and to say that you're having a referendum to approve something, but 
the parliament's got the right to improve it. That is just dynamite. And we've got to get rid of that clause. If you want to alter this, amend it, have another referendum. And I hope that happens. Once we get used to this voice, we might enlighten ourselves a bit. But you've got to go a step at a time, haven't you? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. And obviously, giving the parliament the power to um, change the voice as well would mean that when a conservative government gets in power, they could legislate to tear back the powers of the voice, um, which would be even worse, you know, because obviously, even if it gets up with that wording, and it does mean down the line, a left government could, once we become a bit more enlightened, improve the powers of the voice, it could just as well mean that if, you know, heaven above forbid, Peter Dutton wins the next election, he could remove the voice or make it essentially useless, and that would be awful. Well, that's it. He can almost reduce his power to nothing. But, but what is worse is that if, 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 if uh, Palmer and, and Hanson have a victory in this, they beat the referendum, have a victory in this, they will run round at the next election and say to Australia, look, we saved you from those Aborigines. It was us. Mm. Both for Palmer and Hanson. We saved you. Those other blokes would have sold you down the river. And so it'll have precautions for the next election, and we just must not allow that to happen, can we? I completely agree, and I suppose there's two final thoughts I'd like to finish with on The Voice. The first is that Peter Dutton's shadow attorney general is a fellow called Julian Lisa, who was a backbencher to this point, um, but a backbencher supportive of The Voice to Parliament. So it's good to know that the shadow attorney general, at least, is also supportive of The Voice to Parliament. The second thing, and I talked about this when we talked about um, the Eddie Marbo decision, a couple of months back on the show, when the Native Title Act Marbo decision and that came down, none other than John Howard went on the ABC, the big map of Australia, with about 70% of the map coloured black, uh, brown. And on this map, he, he held it up and he basically said, this is all the land the Aboriginals are going to take and they're going to have rights over it. They're going to be able to tell you what to do with your land in all these Aboriginal areas. Big fear campaign. Obvious lie obvious stoking of racial hatred and anti-Indigenous sentiment. And I, I just, again, I, I do really, really fear for what's going to be directed at our Indigenous community, which is no reason not to do the referendum, don't get me wrong, but we will have to be fighting this at every corner. Um, you know, allies to the Indigenous community like us have to be standing up and saying no, no, no to all the racism at every corner. Because at the end of the day, I think Indigenous Australians are, what, like 2.5% of the population? We can't leave that the entire burden of the racism to be, you know, of stopping the racism to be cast on them. We have to fight that. Well, and true. And, and, and uh, look, I, I, I think the, uh, you know, the whole... Uh, uh, my role as an oldie is to get the seniors of Australia to vote yes. They're mainly conservative and, and they're mainly... They feel that millions and billions of dollars have been tossed at the Indigenous people down the years and nothing has happened. This will pass or fail according to what the LDs of Australia vote. There's five million at least LD voters out there. Now, I intend to say to them, look, all through our lives we've lived with this problem and it's not going to go away. Let us leave Australia in a better place in terms of our relationship with Indigenous people by giving them a voice, uh, even though that voice is without power, by acknowledging that they were the first people here. Uh, let's fix this before we die and do something good for Australia. And I hope we might be able to 
do that because the LDs are going to decide whether there's wins or losers. I'm sure the under-30s are going to vote overwhelmingly in favour of Uluru. It's the LDs we've got to watch. Am I right? Yeah, I, I think you're pretty well right there. So um, yeah. I, I think you might well be right. And obviously, for a referendum to win, you need a majority of votes in a majority of states. Um, and, you know, there are states, Queensland especially, um, where you'd have to say there's a very conservative, very anti-Indigenous older population by and large in your home state. Um, so if, if you can convince even a tiny, even, you know, just get 5 10% of it go from one way to the other, um, spin the dial, that could be exactly what's needed to get it over the line. Well, we've got to make sure we do that. Now, we're running out of time, James, so we're betting it on. And when I come back next week, uh, we can talk about uh, how, how we, um, uh, how I did with uh, affordable housing and voluntary assisted dying. We'll discuss that next week. Uh, go to goodies and baddies. Now, my goodie of the week is Michelle Obama. I don't know whether you read it, but Michelle Obama has now written another book. She wrote a very good book called Becoming, which is all about her life, right up until when she and Barry left the White House. And that was an excellent book, Becoming. It was a wonderful read. And she's now written another one. Uh, I think it's called uh, The Way Things Are. I, I get that. So it's coming out in November. I just ordered my copy last night in advance because the last book was one. But it's an analysis of where she feels the world is on all the great issues and what she feels are solutions and ways for where we can work together to get these to happen. Now, immediately this book was announced, the media got out and said, this book is her political platform to run for president in 2024 for the Democratic nomination that she would run against both Biden and if he's running and Kamala Harris if she's running. She would run for the Democratic nominee and that she's written this book as her platform. Now, she hasn't said that, but now the rumour mills are going to go. Like, and I've got to say that if I was in America and Michelle Obama was running for president, I'd vote for her. I think she leaves Biden and Harris for dead. And if she's running against Donald Trump, I reckon if Americans have got a choice between Michelle Obama and Donald Trump, uh, I think she's going to do him over like you wouldn't believe or whatever other one they put up. And so I'm hopeful that that's the case. What do you think? Uh, well, you know, obviously I hope whoever the Democratic presidential candidate is, they wipe the floor with the Republican candidate. I, I'd be a bit wary of nominating Michelle Obama just because I think not among Democrats, but among other voters in the US, there's a bit still like lingering anti-Obama family sentiment. Because, like, that, that's how Donald Trump essentially won the election, right? Like, Hillary Clinton was associated with an old era of Democrats who hadn't done right by the people, according to a lot of, a lot of voters. Um, a lot of people still think the Obama presidency was a time of great promise, uh, promising the world and delivering an atlas. And a lot of voters still really felt gypped by the Obama years. Democrats, too. Um, there, there's a fella, he's the governor of Illinois right now, J.B. Pritzker. And he's he's a billionaire, actually. But his record of um, actually listening to his constituents and doing what his constituents want is second to none in that country. And he, he's a Democrat, um, J.B. Pritzker. And if, if and I could pick anyone... What's his name again? J.B. Uh, Pritzker, P-R-I-T-Z-K-A-R. Yeah, I haven't heard of him. I'll have to look it up. in yeah. Illinois. 
Yeah. What what I've just noticed about him is, yeah, he, uh, unlike most American politicians, um, he listens to the people who voted him in and he does what they want him to do, which is what a politician should do and shouldn't be too much to ask of a politician. And yet, because he's an American oh, well, politician. We, we keep an eye on this, Ray James. Now, the phone's running on. Who's your good guy? I said Michelle Obama. Who's your guy? Um, I'll make it quick. And this, this is, we're in the twilight zone. We're in Twin Peaks here because last week I said my good guy of the week was Novak Djokovic. And this week I'm saying my good guy of the week is Dom Perrottet um, because the New South Wales government has announced that for academically selective high schools, uh, 20% of the spots are going to be guaranteed to low-income students. Um, and I just think that's wonderful. Like I, I was a low-income student who went to an academically selective high school and only until recently, I only found out just how wealthy uh, most kids who find their way into academically selective high schools are. Um, and it's because of those kids' hard work, don't get me wrong, but it's a lot easier to work hard when your parents can afford mountains and mountains of tutoring. And it's a lot easier to get ahead, even from young, young age, like I'm talking primary school, when some kids are getting access to heaps of private tutoring outside of class and other kids aren't getting access to that private tutoring. And it means those other kids can be left behind and so to see um, these spots being reserved for kids who won't have access to that sort of private tutoring may not always have access to favorable education infrastructure um, I think is really really cool and it's an awesome step in the right direction for educational quality. No, well good on you James that's good now look for bad people I go to the United States again and I see that last night the Congress has indicted uh, Steve Bannon who was Trump's chief public relations man for a long time, who, who failed to appear, answer a summons to appear, you know, in the con congressional inquiry into the riots on uh, in January last year, and that he's uh, he's been charged and he's been convicted of uh, of uh, defying the, the Senate. And I just want to say he's the first of the real close guys to Trump to get nabbed, the first. And I want to express the hope that he's not the last. No. Yep, and um, tailing into that, because I completely echo your sentiment, my bad guy is the Donald himself. Yeah. Um, we saw coming out of this testimony, and obviously we hope the Donald gets nabbed too, um, because he should be in jail for the rest of his life for committing high treason, but um, well, he should be in the jail in jail for the rest of his life for tax fraud and sexual assault. Let's add high treason to the list. Um, he, um, They released a video of his video released to all his fans on January 7th, the day after the insurrection. And it was so, so strange because yet in the video, part of the script was for him to say things like, um, you know, it's over, the election is done. Um, and he, this wasn't just a video of his release. This was a video behind the scenes of him filming it too. And it was like his daughter Ivanka was saying, you know, dad, just say that the election's done, say it's over. And he was like, no, no, I don't want to say the election's done. I just want to say the results have been certified because I don't accept that the election is over, the fraudulent election, the rigged election. And it was just so strange. See, this was the day after the riots, remember? The day after the attempted insurrection. Um, this behind the scenes of Trump flatly refusing still to accept the results of the election. And it should leave no doubt in anyone's mind um, that he was doing this like deliberately to overturn the election. You know, this was not like just a bunch of Trump supporters of their own accord 
going a bit loopy and having a bad day, waking up on the wrong side of the bed. This was a concerted effort from Trump himself and everyone on down to overturn the election. And and he'll, he'll keep up with that, James, for the rest of his life. See, the only thing he can talk about at the moment is that the election was robbed. If you stop him talking about the election was robbed, what the hell has he got to say about anything? I mean, so this is his lifeblood. He's got to hang on to it. And, and he'll have a, some sort of statement tacked on his coffin at his funeral about how he was robbed. And what we've got to do is make sure the Republican Party don't select him as their candidate, uh, you know, for 20 years. Uh, uh, the 2024, uh, and, and anyway, that's another thing. But we've had a, a, a good chat, James. Now, before I wind up, I've got to say to you that I'm going to have to put myself on the pecuniary interest register of the parliament. You're a bloke who, uh, who was very keen on ICAC and all these things. Well, I, on Tuesday, I've been invited, along with many others, by the Governor-General to have free drinks in the Great Hall after, you know, the parliament's been sworn in and they're all off to go. I'm having free booze on the Australian taxpayer. And so I want you to know that I'm drinking the Governor General's views. And as my lawyer, you should put that on my pecuniary interest <laughs> register, shouldn't you? Uh, uh, maybe if you bring some back for me as well, um, I might consider it. <laughs> well, James, it's been good to talk to you. Great to, glad you had a good holiday down the coast. And, and next Saturday, we'll talk about uh, what I found out around the parliament, and you'll be watching online as usual to give you things. I think we can have a good yarn next weekend, but it's great to talk today, and we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, as always. Thanks for a great chat, Evan. Thanks for listening, everyone. Ciao for now.